We will be in Lamentations 5 today. We'll be uh, beginning that chapter and finishing the book all at the same time. So I know we've been in Lamentations for a few weeks, and I know an overview has been given. I'm going to give a short overview today also just to kind of sum up Lamentations, what it's about, in case you haven't been here or you've forgotten. But uh, Lamentations was a book of lament over Jerusalem, the, the destruction that's happening, the for, a foreign city, Babylon, is coming in and is just destroyed. As we've been reading over Lamentations, they're, they're everything they've known, their lifestyle is different. Um, what they know is gone, their temple is gone, their house of worship is gone, the place where God dwelt in the temple then is gone. Um, there's death in the streets, there is no food, their, their, their homes are gone, their, their life is different as they know it, and not in a good way, in a bad way. Um, destruction is everywhere. They are very desperate. Uh, Jeremiah is a possible author of Lamentations. It never names him, but um, he's, a, he's a potential author. Also, it could be just people from Jerusalem during this time of their lament, but Jeremiah was an eyewitness. It does say in the book of Jeremiah that he wrote a lament. It could have been this one. It could have been another lament. We don't know, um, but Jeremiah is as is, is, is good a author as anybody else. But even with that, it doesn't matter. This is God's word. It is, it is in the canon of scripture. We know that this is God's word to us. And so we're going to finish up Lamentations today. So there's three. Well, first off, chapter five. So each chapter is almost like a, a poem or a song, almost of lament to Jerusalem, God's people, uh, what is happening there. And this one, I would, I would, Title it, Restore Us to Yourself, is kind of the overarching view of chapter 5, the lament to restore us to yourself. That is what they desperately need. That's what we all need, but in, in this, this time period, that is what Jerem, the, the author of Lamentations is asking, to restore us to yourself. So verse 1 is the opening petition. Verses 2 through 18 is just kind of describing the woes that Jerusalem has faced during this, during this time. And then... And then there's hope, and verses 19 through 22 is a concluding prayer for restoration and renewal. Um, that's why I got Brent to read it, because um, that would save me from reading it. And we'll just kind of reference it as we go. So, um, before we get started, I'll pray really fast, and then um, ask God to bless our time, and then we'll, get, we'll jump in. So, uh, just Father, thank you for today. I ask that you be with um, all the prayer requests, all those in, in, in need. Uh, that we see our need for your initial saving power, the, 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 the desperate situation we're in, and for your continued grace, your continued grace that you promised to give us. I ask you to be my words today, protect my mouth, protect the ears, um, that what I say is true and edifying and beneficial and fruitful. And uh, these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so verse 1, Lamentations 5. Remember, O Lord... What has befallen us? Look and see our disgrace. So remember, it's, it's like this, remember, O oh Lord, what has happened to us. Come look and see how we are disgraced. Look and see the situation we're in. Have you ever been extremely desperate? Not first world desperate, like my phone's dead, or McDonald's is not opening up inside, or not even I may lose my job. But, like, my house is gone, my children are dead, my spouse is dead, 
I don't have any food. I have no hope of food. I have no resources. I have no influence. I have nothing to change this situation that is an already awful situation. That is an extremely desperate situation. I think of Waverly right now. Today, like, we have life insurance, we have house insurance, we have 401ks, we have retirements. So it is still different, but what really takes my mind before this happened with Waverly is Afghanistan. So we need to lament over Afghanistan, what's happening there. I'm not going to get into the politics of it, even though it's pretty terrible, um, in my opinion. But um, I'm not going to make political statements from up here. But what is happening in Afghanistan, in my mind, there's, there is a comparison between, like, take Jerusalem, pre-fall, similar America-alike. There's a lot of prosperity. There's a lot of freedoms. They could roam and do what they wanted. They could worship their God. And then a short time later, it goes to, we're killed in the streets. Our women are raped. Our young men are slaves. There, there's no rest, there's no, we have no food, we have no water. The water we do get, we have to buy it from the people. That, it's in our land, but it's like we are in a desperate situation. It just reminds me of Afghanistan, of it was doing well for Christians there. You know, we have, we have more in common with brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan than we have in common with our, our fleshly brothers and sisters here. They're not in Christ. And what I mean by that is when you break it down, think about like on Judgment Day. It's not going to matter what you have, who you are, the culture you lived in. What are you going to hold to? If you're in Christ, we're all, all going to hold to the same one thing. And that is the common ground I'm talking about. We have more in common with brothers and sisters in Afghanistan than we would have with our fleshly brothers and sisters here that aren't in Christ. Our fleshly member, family members here, if they are in Christ, we have just as much in common but so what I'm saying is that we could easily be in that situation over there in a different part of the world where it's extremely desperate, right? It's like they, looking at it just face value, they have no hope. They're about to die. They're about to get slaughtered. And there's no hope of escape. None. At any minute today, right now, they could have a knock on the door, and that would be 15, 20, 30, 50 Taliban soldiers showing up with AKs, and you're the husband or the wife with four children at home that you're called to protect, and you can't. That's an extremely desperate situation. So I think if we think of it like that, we might be able to get more of the mindset of what the author of Lamentations here is saying. is like, it is extremely awful where we're at. This Remember us, O oh Lord. What has happened? Look. It's, and he's about to get into the woes, but just the, the opening statement is remember us because look. Just look. In America right now, it's, it's hard to imagine that because we have so many resources and money. And it's almost, if you were to be a foolish for a second, you could say, I don't really need God. Because I have so much, right? Like, without God, in a sense, you could say, again, you would be being a fool. You could say, without God, I'm good for 80 years. I have a good job. I have resources. I have land. I have my retirement. I have my 401k. I can make it for a long time without God. And that is kind of what the people of Jerusalem had gotten to, right? They started to rely not on God. They were not relying on him. They were relying on Egypt and Assyria, 
And as the author here says in a minute, he's like, we've done that enough. We've seen the consequences of our sin. We've seen it. So in, in one way in Afghanistan today, it's a surreal, surreal, a more real reality than what we live in a lot of times. Because the truth is we are in a desperate need for God 100% of the time. Whether we realize that or not, we are because things could change immediately. We leave here, one phone call changes your life. Right now, even not just personally, but globally, we could have news when we leave here that changes our lives dramatically. Another nation invades and all of a sudden they're in control and they're in the White House or whatever. I mean, just make it up. It could happen, right? And that would change our lives for the time we're here drastically. And that's what's happened. Like these people in Jerusalem have gone from like we got it, we got it to like we are in desperate, extreme desperation. All right, and also reminds me of it's like the author is saying, Remember, O Lord, your covenantal promise. Remember that we are your people. You have promised to protect us, to be with us, to go with us, to bless those that bless us, to curse those that curse us. I know we've sinned, but remember the Exodus, how you've delivered your people before. You split a sea open so we could walk through it. Remember that. Do something like that again. We need you to restore us to yourself. Our only hope is you. We see that now. I can see it. It's very tangible in, in their circumstance. Okay, so as we move on to the, the woes that they've experienced, verses 2 through 18, they experience economic, economic, economic impoverishment. They, their economics are just trashed. Their inheritance has been turned over to strangers. All they've saved up for, your 401k, your retirement plan, your whatever you got, it's been given over to, to someone else. Your homes, your land, all the property you own, gone. You, you, you are orphaned. Your kids are orphans. Your mother's like widows. they got to pay for their water. Their pursuers with their necks. They're weary. They have no rest. Verse 6, we have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Like, we've done that enough. We've given them our hands enough. Um, Jeremiah 2 prophesies about that. Just uh, Jeremiah 2, 18 through 19. We don't have the, the verses typed out, but they are kind of on the screen if you'd like to jot that down and read it up for yourself later. Or you can, I'll read it to you right now. Or you can do both. But anyway, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2, verses 18 19. This is what Jeremiah says, what the Lord says to Jeremiah. And now what do you gain by going to Egypt or to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what do you gain by going to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your evil will chastise you. And your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord of hosts. So that was prophesied before. And now they're seeing, okay, we have given Egypt and it's the, our hand to them and to get bread enough. We don't, we've seen that does not work. There's social humiliation. Verse 11 the women are raped. The princes are hung up by their hands to be executed. There is no respect to elders. Older, um, feeble people are just beaten mer mercilessly. Uh, young men are at the mill. Or the boys staggered under loads of wood. Things that should not happen are happening. 
The old men have left the city gate. They have no voice in the community anymore. There's no voice. What they say does not affect anything. The young men, their music, the joy of their hearts has ceased. There's, there's no good thing happening. There's nothing to look forward to. You know, people say about Easter, you hear a lot, like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, there's young families, there's children. It's like, it's exciting, right? Because, like, okay, there's a future here. So what they're seeing is, like, our future is dead. There's not one. I'm dead. The elders are not here. The young men are tortured. They're killed. They're mutilated. The women are raped. They're killed. There's no future is what they look at and see. So remember, oh Lord, remember us. And in case you don't, let me tell you, it is not looking good. There's no joy. There's nothing to be joyous about. It's terrible. Verse 16 says, The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. So what does that mean? The crown has fallen from our head. Well, Israel has been promised a Davidic line of kingship, right? So that the, the Davidic monarchy was established with David the king, and it was promised for that to continue. And what I think is the author is saying, it seems like that is gone. Our kings are dead. The line of David is destroyed. The crown has fallen from our head. We have fallen from where we were. God was going to use us as God's people and God's... But it seems like he's not anymore. It seems like you have removed the crown and we have lost hope. And he was true temporarily. It will not be resumed until Christ is, comes as king. But they didn't know that. All they knew was they had a literal political king that has been dethroned, has been destroyed, and they couldn't see how Christ was coming. All they knew was, was done. All that they knew was the social, political king, David and Solomon, and the line continued. That was done. This had finished that. The next king that they would see would be Christ as king. And that's the king we see, the, the final king. But again, they didn't know how that would happen. They, they couldn't imagine a king coming as a servant, as we think back to that time and the Jews, and why, one reason why they rejected Christ is because this promised king to come, they thought would be like the king that just got killed, like David, like Solomon, right? So they, when they saw Christ coming as a servant, they're like, no, that's not the king, idiots, right? That's why they thought they were crazy. Like, no, this is, this is a servant. This is not a king. Well, that's one reason why they rejected him. The main reason was they didn't have faith, but um, anyway, that's, that's, the crown has fallen from our head. Where we once were, again, think of just an example, America going to be like a, Afghanistan in a short matter of time. You know, there's some people, <laughs> I had a guy ask me the other day, and I don't mean to laugh, um, but I do disagree with this statement. He said, do you think America was created to protect Israel? And I was like, no, I don't think that. Um, I don't think if you got a question about that, just ask me later because there's a lot of questions about the land promise and all that. But I would love to talk to you about it. But no, America is not mentioned in the Bible, and there's no promise. There's no promise to us of that. So, like, could America fall and be punished for her sin? Yes, but you can't point to the Bible and say that's why America would fall. So. Um, let's not get into that thinking, but think of, okay, America today going to be like Af Afghanistan in a, in a short amount of time. That's like, we would be like, our crown has fallen, America is dead, right? Like, the 
tribulations here, whatever you would think of like that. Um, so that's what kind of what they're saying is like, this is terrible. Terrible. All right, so it keeps going. Our hearts become sick. Our eyes have grown dim. Mount Zion, which is their holy place, one of their holy places, lies desolate. Jackals prowl. It's just a wasteland. Like nothing good is here. It's wasted. And th- th- so to have all this in your mind, our women are raped. Our young women are raped. Our, they're mutilated. Our young men are they're going to be deformed because of the workload they have to endure when they're little. They shouldn't be doing that. There's no joy. There's no hope. There's no hope for a future. It looks terrible. We're all dead. We have no hope on this earth right now. Verse 19, the high point of the chapter. So the, the author and us too get consoled by this fact that God always sits on his sovereign throne ruling over the universe from heaven. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. What good news is that? Despite losing everything, literally everything, we can still say that today. And this is what I think of. I think I, th- I thought about this question quite a bit over the course of my short life. I know I'm not very aged. I'm older than some of you. Um, but, okay, so the question. Yeah, I may have asked this before. But So at Judgment Day, you go to Judgment, we die, you're at Judgment Day. You walk up to the judge. And you say, hey, I'm here. I want to go to heaven. And God says, Jesus says, depart from me. You worker of lawlessness, I never knew you. Okay? What's your next sentence? I can tell you what it will be. Yes, sir, you're right. Tuck your tail and you go to hell. You're not going to argue with God the Creator, right? There's people on this earth right now you wouldn't argue with because of who they are, the positions they hold. You're not going to argue with the one that endures from generation to generation. What will be going through your head, right? Like, okay. In that moment, the realest of realities has just happened. You're a sinner. You deserve his wrath, and you're getting it. There's no like, well, I did. This, the judgment's been made, right? So I thought about that. Like, man, what, what, what could I say? Like, what? Nothing. There's no manipulating your way out of that situation, right? <laughs> like, you might, you might be wise, you might be smart, but there are wiser people on earth, right? So like the one that created them are a lot wiser than you. So it just keeps going of like you're, you're not getting out of that like we get out of situations on earth. Because that's, that's all we have to compare to. And that's kind of where I started as I was thinking about this. Okay, what can I say? Okay, I could quote, quote God some scripture and like get him to, like, no, like Satan quoted in scripture too. It's not going to work. He knows. That there, in that moment, I think of it like, I don't like, I think like the Bible would use like naked maybe. I like to think of exposed. We're just exposed. You're exposed before God the throne. Um, God the judge on the throne. So here's how I would walk through it. Here's, here's what would happen. If that happens, we have no excuse. Are you guilty? Yes, you've sinned. You've rebelled against God. You've Push him to the side. You have disobeyed him. So you deserve hell. Have you attained righteousness? Have you, have you lived a life 
worthy to get to heaven. No. Yeah, you, you've sinned. Again, you've fallen short. You've, you, you've disobeyed the law. Okay? The wages of sin is death. So if you die, everybody's going to die. When you go into the grave, can the grave hold you? Yes. The grave's got you. It owns you. So you have no hope. But, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. So what he's saying here is, don't forget where I left you there a second. We're going to, there's more good news. But um, he says, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. So you may be thinking, yes, yes, this is the Old Testament. So uh, because God, what he's saying here is God must initiate and enable any return to him. That's why the author is saying, Lord, you restore us to yourself that we may be restored. That's the only way to be restored. Renew our days as of old. This reminds me of there's been plenty of times in my life where I would be in at least one sin, particular sin, and like I would not want to do it, but I did not have the desire to not do it. Does that make sense? Let me say it another way. Let's say I have a sin, and I don't want to do it, but I desire it. So I know I'm going to do it. It's going to end up me doing it because I, that's my desire is to act on this sin. So I remember, I remember praying and be like, God, give me the desire to not want to do it because that does not come from me. What comes from me is the desire to go after this thing or to not do this thing, whatever it is, to do, to not do, whatever. But like my, my, what's coming from me is I want it. Change it. Change me. Don't help me. Don't make me better. Make me different. Right? Make me new. And that's initial salvation. And also, as we are Christians, as we go, like, God, I am filthy without Christ. Like, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Please. Look at Jesus. I know you, I know you will. We're going to get to that with the, in a second. So, you know, it's like, that's how I think of it as the author saying, restore us to yourself. You do it, Lord. Like, I know I'm held responsible, but do it for me. I want it. I, I do, but I don't. You know, like the Romans 7, I remember a few weeks ago, Brent reading it up here, and it's just confusing, right? It's like the things I love, I don't do, and I don't want, I do. And it's just like, what? We're so conflicted, right? As Christians, we have the spirit, but we have the flesh, and they're at battle, and they're at war. And it's so confusing sometimes of what we want and what we don't want. And we do these things, even though I hate them, but I desire them. So it's coming from, it's like in me. I, I love it, but I hate it. Like, why? God, change me. I change my desires. So restore us to your, oh yeah. So you might think, that might be Old Testament, right? But now today's different because we're in the New Testament. This, this is after Jesus. Well, if you'll go to John 6 with me, it's two, two verses in John 6. This is verse 44 and 65. It's the same verse pretty much. He says the same thing. One of them, he says, Jesus, this is Jesus. He says it, and then the other verse, he just reminds him that he said it. And I love these verses because it's good news for me, and it's good news for you depending on how you look at it. 
I'm in Romans. That is not John. John, big John, not first John or second John. There was a, a guy I saw a video the other day. It was a tattoo. <laughs> I don't remember the verse, but it was uh so it was it said John say it was six forty four. It wasn't. It was and um and the guy said, You know what that says? And he was like, Yeah, it says blah blah. He's like, No, that verse is you have five husbands before and the one you have now live with not your husband. And it's supposed to be first John. But anyway, so just that was for free, but anyway, it has nothing to do with I was just killing time to get to where I'm. All right, John 6, 44. Anyway, so what we're th- talking about is restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored, renew our days as of old. But know your Bible. Know the difference between 1 John and Big John, or John. So Romans 6, uh, John six forty four. goodness. All right, this is Jesus talking. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So another way to say that verse, uh, I like to, you know, it's, it helps me to reword the verse in the same ma- in the same manner it is, you gotta know some some English skills. But so it's saying you cannot come to the Father unless God draws you. No one can come to Jesus. But God, the Father, has to draw you in order for you to come to Jesus. Is what it's saying. All right, and just uh, verse sixty-five kind of rewords it a little bit. The same thought in John, and he said, "This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father." Because people were like grumbling, saying, whoa, hold up, Jesus. And he's like, look, I, this is why I told you that. So you might say, that's bad news, right? No, that's good news. Here in Lamentations, restore us to yourself. This is not an angry, angry prayer. It's, he is humbly saying, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored, renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Well, here's the, God never rejects his people forever. Okay, He is faithful in restoring them. There's many verses I didn't even put any down because there's, this is all over the Bible of like God being faithful to his people. He will not reject you. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ, period. There's no coming out. So the godly grief, the godly sorrow here produced by the author over their sin is the beginning of this restoration process, which would be completed by turning to God in faith and obedience. So what I want to end on is, at the end of days, where we're all heading, we're heading there, it will be worse for us. Let me, let me start over. Right now in America, I would get it if you would get frustrated over my next comment. Afghanistan is a terrible situation right now. It's awful. And we can't even fathom that here where we're at because of how we live. We need to be lamenting and praying for our brothers and sisters over there, interceding for them. Okay? I can't even understand what it's like right now over there. But on Judgment Day for many people, without Christ, it's going to be much worse for you for me, without Christ. So the questions are, what would be running through my head is, oh man, I've sinned. I've messed up. I haven't obeyed. The the, the law is too heavy. Think about Jeremiah here. You know, he's saying, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored, renew our days of old. Unless you've utterly rejected us, 
and you remain exceedingly angry with us. He's like, because I would get it. Like, we deserve everything that has happened. Everything. All verses 2 through 18, the woes, whether we like to admit it or not, like, we deserve those. Th- There's no arguing that. Like Brent said earlier, we, we deserve that. We, we are not good. I'm not good. I'm in trouble. So on judgment day, God says, you know, I would be thinking, I, ha- I haven't lived, a, I, I, I can't obey the law. I can't do it. He says, I know, I did it in Christ. I did it for you in Christ. Okay, you, but I, still, I haven't obeyed the law, so I, I deserve your wrath. I can't take your wrath. God, I know I did it for you in Christ. I took the wrath in Christ. Well, the grave, it has a right to me because I've sinned. And so the wages of sin is death. When I go into the ground, I'm there. The, the grave owns me. He says, no, I defeated the grave in Christ. Christ died. The grave had no hold on him. He had no sin. So he defeated the grave for us, raising three days. So that's our hope. That's how the author can say all these terrible things and then say, but you, O Lord, reign forever. No matter what we're going through, how terrible it looks. Um, thank you for that quote. I forgot all about it. This is from an Afghani pastor facing horrific persecution at the hands of the Taliban. Just think about this. This guy, this guy has to understand hope, true hope. He says, we can trust that our Lord is mighty and will care for his children. Our hope is not in politics, but Jesus, who is the king. Facing certain death within the next couple of weeks. Looking, it looks like that. And um, just that, like, in my opinion, he sees a more real reality than we see where we're at right now sometimes because we have all these other things. So just don't get sucked into that knowing that whenever we do face judgment one day we won't have our resources and our politics and our money and our um, influence or anything and that's why we worship that's why we live a life that we do because even if we do have those things great but that's not where our hope's at as Christians and that's why we live the lives we do live so let's continue to live continue to be faithful continue to obey Christ and um, that's the good news. And that's why we are who we are. So let's pray and we'll be finished. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, your word, how you have used it over time. And time and time again, you have kept your promises. You have never failed one promise. Uh, your timing is sometimes different, a lot of times different than what we would like. Your timing is, um, you are patient. You are very patient. And thank you for that. Um, Be with the church in Afghanistan. Be with uh, our neighbors in Waverly. Uh, Help us to help, uh, to pray, to intercede on their behalf, to um, just step in the gap. um, And we ask that you protect them. Uh, Protect us here from sickness and viruses and uh, all that may be happening here. Help us be faithful to the end, no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.